Well, good morning. Welcome to Refuge. It's exciting to be here and continue to go through God's Word as it's His Word that ministers to us as He has been. He is faithful. And um, to that, we can all say amen. He is praiseworthy. And, um, and so we're here to just simply sit at His feet and glean from His Word and take it in and allow His Word to minister to us as only He can. And so we, uh, we are in Mark chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5. And the title of this morning's message is Clothed in His Right Mind. Clothed in His Right Mind. Start out by reading uh, Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Heavenly Father, as we consider what we just read, Lord, and, and even think back to what happened even prior to this moment. Lord, we know that as the disciples got into the boat and crossed the Sea of Galilee, it was all according to your will. Lord, they didn't come across upon the storm in disobedience, but in obedience. They didn't come to the land of the Gerasenes, Lord, in disobedience, but obedience. And yet we see how it is that the enemy is constantly trying to undermine, destroy. And as we see here in this man, completely take one person out. Lord, whether it be by fear and deception or whether it be by our own doing, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be mindful of you and your promises. Lord, we know that an untested faith is not a faith that we can count on. It's in that time of trial that our faith is tested and it's either proven or found wanting. I pray, Lord, that this morning you would 
set us straight, Lord, that we would not be out of our minds, but Lord, that we would be in our right mind, thinking, trusting in you, improving by our own thoughts and actions, Lord, that we, we trust and love you. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, I pray. Again, help us to be fixed and focused on you and you alone. For you are not only the author of our faith, but you're also the perfecter. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's this idiom, um, and we say, we're all aware of this. When, When we say someone is out of their mind... We're saying that they're senseless, that they're irrational, that they're crazy, or maybe even stupid. And that's what we mean by that idiom. This is an idiom that is commonly used to describe someone who is saying and or doing things that do not make sense. And that that person we we are seeing, we are observing, is outside, quite literally what this means is they're outside of their head. They don't seem to be reasoning or exercising what would be considered common sense. They've lost control of their mental faculties, but instead are expressing foolishness. Basically what they're revealing is their own turmoil. They're in a state of great disturbance, confusion, disorientation, and disorder. This morning, we have an example right before us, as we read, of a man who is out of his mind, who is possessed by not just one demon, but a whole army of demons. And they are tormenting this man, causing him even to harm himself. He's described vividly in great detail. Keep in mind that this is, again, as as I pray, this is directly following the account of Jesus' amazing control over the forces, the elements, wind and water. And now we have this account of this man whose mind and therefore body is just out of control. At the same time, Jesus has authority over him just as he did over the wind and the rain. This was not the first time Jesus had demonstrated his authority over demonic forces. In Mark chapter 1, as we have already gone through this in verse 1, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And I had reminded you even then, as we were going through, that this this is the synagogue. Keep that in mind. That these things happen... Everywhere, And I told you in that, in that moment, as I was teaching through Mark chapter 1, to pay attention, this was happening in the synagogue. So, and they said they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he, thought, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And so we know from what we covered that his word of this spread throughout the whole area. So people started gathering around Jesus. But as I said, this was nothing new. The, the exercising of the spirits. And this will not be the last time either in Mark chapter 5. That will run across this. We will see the exorcism of unclean spirits time and time and time again. Today we see many who are visibly tormented in their minds, whether by demons, circumstances, drugs, alcohol, the past, the present, or some even the future. It's not common. It's already tormenting them. Reminded of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I refer to it often. Why? Because for me in my own life, those two verses have ministered to me deeply. I, I had said, an untested faith cannot be counted upon. It's in those times of testing when you are confronted with the storms of life that you are either proven or found wanting. And see, at any time, my, my peace and my trust in the Lord is tested. So it is with you. Do you find yourself anxious, worried, fearful, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, we, we need more, more of us that submit those things to the Lord. And we allow that peace of God that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds. I say it often, our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know them? Don't follow your hearts. If you catch yourself saying, I, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel, you're, you're being led by your heart, not by the word, and much less by the spirit. If we don't take these thoughts captive and submit them to the authority of God, then we're not being disciplined. For God did not, not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. Discipline. We, we ought to, as, as Christians, be disciplined. We look to the Word, not to perceptions, not to assumptions. We look to the very Word of God. For if we do, we are out of our minds. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not in our right mind in his mind well this is torment whatever the cause of our torment may be the only true deliverance is known in one jesus christ 
He is the one who is able to clothe us in our right minds by his spirit and according to his word. In fact, Eric shared how it was that we are to abide in Christ, abide in his word. As we abide in his word, we are therefore walking in his will. And as we're walking in his will and know his word, whatever we ask, we're going to be asking according to his will. And he desires to give us those things that we may bless and honor and glorify him. That is being in our right minds. Three things we're going to see here. One tormented. One is one tormented, one delivered, and two responses. One tormented, one deliverer, two responses. Again, in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. In verse 8, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Uh, three years ago now, um, several of us from the church went with a larger group to Israel. And I remember taking the trip to the land of the Gerasenes. And the location where it's thought to where this very event took place. You can see from where we were how if the Sea of Galilee, was a, the, the level was a little higher, they could go right off the cliff and right into, into the sea. Remember that, Robert? Yeah. And you could see five miles across to the direction of what would be a little north of Tiberias. This is where... Jesus and his disciples came across. And immediately upon crossing the Sea of Galilee, and immediately after having endured a potentially life-ending storm, the disciples and Jesus encountered a man who was demon-possessed coming upon coming ashore on the other side, as Jesus had commanded them to go. I, again, I, and I... I like doing this because sometimes we miss the obvious. First of all, Jesus was with the disciples in the storm. And Jesus is now there with the disciples as they encounter this demon-possessed man. When God says, I, I love you with an everlasting love, I will never leave you or forsake you you can rest assured that that is true. He's with you wherever you go. That is comforting. Secondly, Jesus had told them to cross to the other side. The, place, the very place they landed, it was, it was this very place that they had this encounter with this demon-possessed man. They didn't misread the command. They didn't hear 
the Lord wrong. This was the very place. Just because we are experiencing storms and demonic opposition does not mean that Jesus is not with us. In fact, if you consider Jesus' life, who else was more demonically opposed than him? Can we talk about Paul, James, John, Stephen? We go on and on. If, in fact, it may be an indication that he is with us. He has directed rightly, and the enemy is simply attempting to discourage, distract, and completely derail what God is desiring to do. You know, it's a spiritual warfare that we're dealing with. We need to acknowledge it as such and not think that it's anything different. Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, he tells us this, and I was reminded by a dear brother that we are to don the full armor of God and have it ready at any given time. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and I will encourage you with these words as well. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. devil. Against. This is not running away. Just in case you didn't know, uh, there's no cover on the back side. There's cover on the front side. So we're not people that run away. We're people that advance and go toward the fight. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. If anyone knew spiritual warfare, it would be the Apostle Paul. He knew, in fact, that he was being used previously to come against the very church that he now was encouraging with these words. You see, he had not only gone out to persecute the church by means of others, but also himself. When Stephen was martyred, he was the one that was there with the authority as they left their clothes before him, their shirts, their jackets, whatever it was that was was holding him back, those people who were stoning 
Stephen. The Apostle Paul knew this very well, and yet he was an ambassador in chains. He was asking, put, not only encouraging them to don the whole armor of God, but he was asking, pray for me that I may more boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. An abundant life is not a problem-free life. But one that is filled with hope purpose, and peace in Christ. Regarding this man who they encountered, this demon-possessed man is described in great detail in verses 3 through 5, as we've read it already. He was, first of all, described as a man who lived among the dead. Secondly, no one could subdue him. No one could quiet him. No one could overcome or bring him under control, not even by force. Not that there there wasn't any attempt to do so, but this man was demonically possessed. Just no one could quiet him, overcome, bring him under control, not even by force. Clearly, he's described as being mentally tormented. He was displaying erratic behavior. And fourthly, he was self-destructive. When left to himself, when he couldn't harm others, the demons were set on destroying him and says that he would cut himself. The man was, was out of his mind. I believe this describes some people today that perhaps the world would describe as even mentally ill. And I'm not saying that there aren't people who are, who are not mentally uh, ill, who do not have mental problems caused, caused by physiological abnormalities. But I don't believe for a second that what we have described here is not actually happen, happening today in a larger scale even. We're coming to the end of the days. Why wouldn't this be even more rampant today? Have you ever come across someone who you just discern the Spirit of God is not not with them, but they are demonically possessed, if not just oppressed. I've come across people like that. Along with that, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says this. Let no one deceive you in any way, For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. The great falling away, the great deception is at hand. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Uh, these great signs and wonders, I, I know we're, we're looking for some magic or, or some uh, miracles to take place, 
But quite honestly, the great signs and wonders are whatever it is that you're taken by. I'm going to say that again. False Christs and false prophets will arise, self-proclaimed saviors. They'll draw people unto themselves, and this, this is the thing. We're looking for these miracles, and yet the very thing, these performing great signs and wonders, are just simply whatever it is that takes you captive. It doesn't have to be much, but for you it's a great sign and wonder, and it's enough, and you're deceived. So we need to stand guard our hearts, our minds in Christ Jesus, according to the word. The falling away of and the deception of the elect is happening right now, today. Are they in the right mind when being deceived and falling away? No, they're not. Verses 2 and then 6 through 8 describes a man who is tormented by demons who knew who, who Jesus was. This man immediately came to Jesus, ran to Jesus, and fell down before him. He knew exactly who Jesus was. But it wasn't the man who was in fear, but the demons that were possessing this man. The demon acknowledged who Jesus was, the Son of the Most High, and he pleaded with him. He pled with him to not torment him, to not torment them. Interesting, because these demons were tormenting this man, but themselves didn't want to be tormented. Just, and this, this is the tactic of the enemy, of course. Torment, but don't torment. Listen, their day is coming to be thrown into the lake of fire. And be tormented, not just for a time, a period, but for all eternity, along with Satan. Um, you don't have to op open up your Bibles there, but if you're jotting down some notes, go to Revelation chapter 20 and you'll see the end of them. And all who reject Jesus Christ. Now notice that as we read here, that Jesus was immediately confronted because he was immediately commanding the unclean spirit to come out of this man. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So immediately upon this, this demonically possessed man came and confronted Jesus and fell down before him. Jesus, even at that very moment, was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He already knew. It's interesting when I hear of how people command spirits to come out of others. Have you ever heard of that? I command you. Even, even that alone, it's like, that statement, I command you in the name of Jesus, you know, like, Jesus is helping me, but I command you. You think about that, it's, it's like, I, I, I don't have any authority to command any spirit to come out of anyone. It's Jesus Christ who has the authority, and he commands whatever he wills. May the Lord rebuke you. May the Lord Deliver you from this demonically oppressed and possessed state, whatever it may be. Jesus has the authority, and he commands by his authority. The demons were working to destroy the image of God. 
This very man, this man who was possessed by this, by this demon and, and all the other ones, he was also one who was created. He was formed in his mother's womb. He was known before he was even in his mother's womb. And yet, it was these demons who were seeking to destroy the image of God, the man himself, and they work to do the same with Christians. And perhaps it is a special work for them to attempt this with the believers, trying to deceive and strike fear into the hearts of believers in order to render them useless for the kingdom of God. Oh, the enemy would love for us to be destroyed and deemed worthless. One tormented, and yet we have one deliverer. Verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. When Jesus asked him his name, there was one demon who was answering for them all. It wasn't that Jesus didn't know this. And by this one demon saying that there were many, it was an, an intimidation tactic. Saying that they were in large numbers. Usually the enemy will do this. You know, they'll, they'll inflate themselves. Um, they'll make themselves appear larger and more powerful than what they really are. And yet, 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, whenever you're thinking in your own mind and in your own heart that you are overwhelmed, know that one with Christ is a majority. He is sovereign God. He is God Almighty. Nothing is impossible with him. In fact, we know that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. That is the church, right? Whatever he says, so it is. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus was and is greater than they, and Jesus easily casts all of them out. And they knew that he had this authority. One isn't more difficult for Jesus than 1,000 or 10,000. And they beg Jesus to not send them out of the country. Or perhaps in your translation it says the abyss. This means that they didn't want at that very moment to be deemed inactive. And this implies that they knew that Jesus did have the, the authority to do that very thing. To lock them up, to bind them up. And one day we know that he will. Praise God for that. One day they will be deemed inactive for all eternity. Satan and his demons are so bent on destruction that it doesn't matter what it is, they are always ready to wreak havoc on anything. Imagine this, even, even a, a herd of 2,000 pigs, cast us into them. Did they cause them to go as they possess the, the pigs even? To go graze some more and feed, sit down, or lay down and 
cool pastures and no, they didn't. Immediately upon being possessed by those spirits, unclean spirits, they cast them right over the cliff and into the water and they all drowned. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. If there is evidence of that, know that it's the work of the enemy. It's not the work of the Lord. Well, Jesus gave them permission to enter the pigs, and once they had taken possession of the pigs, all 2,000 were out of their minds at that very moment. Just prior to that, they were you could say they were thinking clearly, and then just like that, they were out of their minds, and they committed suicide by going off this cliff and drowning in the Sea of Galilee. Two things, the demons, number one, acknowledged who Jesus was, and secondly, get this, they prayed. They acknowledged who Jesus was, and they prayed, asking Jesus to spare them. Hey, listen, what I'm pointing out here is that even demons can confess Jesus and pray, but this alone does not mean that they belong to Jesus or are desiring to do his will. Just because we acknowledge Jesus, and all we're asking for is, give me what I want. Do for me. Have mercy on me. Deliver me from my circumstances. Whatever it is that I'm in. Give me an easy life. Give me riches. Give me possessions. Give me a... A spouse that's uh, understanding of me and, and really centers their life around me. Like, give me everything that I'm, I'm seeking. You're, 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 not, you're not seeking Jesus, at least not the Jesus of the Bible. Your best life now, I think there's a, a book out there. This, this life, we will have tribulation Listen, as we pray and seek the Lord, as we live for Him, it's not self-centered. We ought to desire to do His will. Listen, this, these demons confessed Jesus. They prayed. They asked for mercy. We need to demonstrate our love for the Lord that even when it's difficult, especially when it's difficult, that especially during those times, we humble ourselves, we come before the Lord, we do not do as we will, but as He wills. How do we know the will of God? Well, we read our Bible. Because to do the will of God is to demonstrate your love for Him, John 14, 15. You see, there is only one deliverer, Jesus, and we must acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior. John 14, 6 says, And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one deliverer. As I... Um, 
look back, I can't help but think how in my own mind and heart, I myself was tormented by my own flesh, by the world, and by Satan himself. And yet when I met the one deliverer, he forgave me of my sins and all of that was in the past. I became a new man in Christ with a new heart and a new mind. I praise God for that. One tormented and one deliverer. And can you say about each one of you and one, one delivered, one delivered, one delivered. But there's two responses. Verse 14 says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. <clears throat> and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. There are two responses to Jesus having delivered this man from being demon-possessed. Two responses. The herdsmen, of course, upon seeing the pigs go over the cliff and into the Sea of Galilee, they were, well, number one, I'm sure they were upset. It was, uh, it was their livelihood. They shouldn't have been raising pigs to begin with. It's an unclean animal. But they were doing it off on the hillside, and in fact, um, it, is, it is proven that in that area, uh, they have discovered the bones, the remains of plenty of pigs in that area. But these herdsmen, they, they, they saw this, and they immediately, they went into the city and they were telling all the people what, what had taken place. And of course, everyone wanting to see this man, Jesus, who had delivered this man from demon, being demon-possessed and, and had done this in the pigs going into the sea, they all came. And the, the reaction of the herdsmen and all the people and the reaction of the man who was previously demon-possessed and was not clothed, no longer clothed in his wrong mind, but in his right mind, that is who we see. We see the two responses. Word traveled quickly and the people came to see what had taken place. They were curious. I'm sure not believing that this could be true. I mean, if you heard this, you'd be thinking, wow, you know, this is, this is fantastic. This is like beyond our imagination. Could this be true? And you come upon the scene and you see 2,000 pigs bobbing in the water and there you see Jesus, his disciples. And then you see one other person with him. This man clothed and in his right mind. And everyone knew him. 
No one had been able to subdue this man. And yet with one single word, Jesus did. It wasn't a process. It was just one word. That's it. When they saw this man in his right mind and when they heard what had happened to the pigs, they didn't drop to their faces. They didn't ask Jesus for anything. What struck them was fear. They feared greatly. Interesting. They had no problem with a demon-possessed man out in the area of the gatherings. But they had a problem with Jesus Christ and they did something just odd. They begged him to leave. When things just don't seem to make sense, when we don't understand, when we just don't, can't wrap our, our, our thoughts and in, in our, our brains around something, is that what we do? It can't be. That doesn't make sense. Well, actually... The word lays it out very clearly. Do we also say the same thing in a way? Do we beg Jesus to just leave? Because in a way we are. When we are not abiding in his word, when we make up our own Jesus, our own God, this is exactly what we're doing. Listen, the, the Christian life is not an easy one, but life itself is not easy. The man was, was clothed in his right mind. Having the Spirit of God is greatly feared by the world. Why is the world so fearful of Jesus? Well, because they themselves are not in their right mind. It's an affront. It's an offense. It's in direct opposition. Friend, friendly, friendship with the world is enmity with God. There's no in-between. Satan owns the fence upon which you sit. To not decide is to decide. And tomorrow may not come. So therefore, I implore you to choose today whom you will follow. The world is fearful of Jesus because they are not in their right mind and it is Satan who deceives and desires to keep them. He strikes fear in your heart. But Jesus calls and Jesus offers deliverance, forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. There are only two ways to respond, either total surrender to Jesus or total rejection of Jesus. There is no in-between. And this is what we see here. Now, when Jesus uh, was also begged by this man who was in, clothed and in his right mind uh, to go with him along with the disciples, he, he didn't allow him to go with them. He told them, go home to your friends. Go home to your friends, to your co-workers, to your family. Tell as many people as you can how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he did that very thing. I quoted John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. This is exactly what this man did. He was clothed in his right mind. Whatever Jesus said, so he did. 
he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Oh, the, the, the Decapolis, it's, it was heavy, heavily populated. It was the very place uh, in which many other people could be impacted by what was being proclaimed by this one man who is now clothed in his right mind. A person who is clothed in his right mind will go and do the very will of God. He will testify of God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what I pray for each and every one of us this morning, that we would be clothed in his right mind, that we would be in one accord with the Lord. It it really means nothing if we're in one accord with each other if we're not in one accord with him. We can agree, and the majority can agree, but I can tell you that if we're all mistaken, it really doesn't matter. But we're all united, and we're in agreement. Yeah, but we're in disagreement with the Word of God, and therefore we are opposed, and therefore we will stumble over the rock of offense, because it will be offensive to us. Let us be united in spirit and in truth with the Lord Jesus Christ, and let that be an offense to the world and anyone who is in opposition. But this man was in his right mind. Let us all be in our right minds. If you're here and you do not know that salvation, that forgiveness of sins, God's grace, it can only be known through Jesus Christ. As I quoted John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Confess him as Lord. Come to him. And if you have any questions about the forgiveness of sins, and why we need the forgiveness of sins. Come up. I'm always available afterward. Always. And I will help you understand that in how to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we cannot, or we, we don't have to doubt, Lord. We don't have to make up our own way. Lord, it has nothing to do even with the day and age in which we live in today. Not our culture, not our society, not the opinions of others. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to depend on any of those things to know that number one, salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Number two, that we are clothed in our right minds when we are living our lives according to your word. May you be blessed. May you be honored. And may you receive glory as we do that, Lord, as we strive to do that. Forgive us of our sins. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and continue to do your effective work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.